I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Deeper down to the rabbit hole. Real metaphysics. Cutting edge topics. Results-driven, active spirituality. 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time live on the Parax Network. Also available on podcast at the iTunes Store. Welcome, this is Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole, and I'm here with my co-host, Jason. How are you doing today, Jason? Hey, doing good, Andrea. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, so far, tonight, uh, we were going to have uh, Aaron Licht, uh, but he hasn't called in yet. I hope he will call in uh, for the show, but we're going to talk a little bit about how actually ceremonial uh, magic works from a practical point of view, because me and Jason both have a fair amount of, well, practical experience with ceremonial magic and how it can actually, I'd say it can change your life. Uh, some people criticize ceremonial magic uh, because it's very mind-driven. Uh, however, if you really understand a lot of the axioms uh, of, of hermeticism, which ceremonial magic is rooted in uh, as beloved so below which means if you could change yourself you could change your world uh, tonight we're actually uh, since we're we don't have the guest called in yet we're going to post our call in number if people have been at some of our rituals and, and want to share with us they can feel free uh, to call in and I'm posting it in the chat right now so Jason since we both have a lot of experience with Agrippa Goetia Angels you know, where's the best place that you think we should start tonight? Well, a great place to start is with the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. And what that is, it's taken from Jewish Kabbalah. And it is a chart. Some people call it a chart of creation. It starts with these, it's 10 spheres that each contain a balance of power, emanations of light and darkness emanating downward from the Godhead down to the final Sephiroth, Malkuth, which is the physical reality of the world we live in. 
Um, you know, the way I like to think of this, uh, when you get past all the complicated thing, ideas, um, it really is a system of planetary vibrations. Um, really, a situ is a you have you you we can just you know argue about this but really you have a god who's not really god in the christian sense of the word or god in the uh hi i'm papa father sky god listen to me or you're going to hell that's not at all what god is i mean god is and is not at the same time exists and does not exist uh essentially there is no distinction no distinctions but because there's no distinctions uh there's no physical reality. It is. It encompasses all things, and each step uh, down the tree of life, you have emanations of different emanations of different categories. I like to say categories. It really is different categories um, that go down the tree of life. Well, really, it's a, it's a spiritual filing system. I like your comparison to planetary magic because in a planetary system, you're using the classical planets as a filing system. With the Jewish Kabbalah, you're using the Sephiroth of the Tree of Life as a filing system. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I've often said that ceremonial magic is a lot like shamanism with a better accounting system um, because you're still using visionary states. It's just every single thing has to uh, mathematically apply certain um, and that goes along with the sacred geometry of the tree of life and embedded in a lot of ceremonial magic is this notion that there must be a spirit for every single thing that you can communicate and work with uh, and what ceremonial magic at least western ceremonial magic because we should uh, clarify that there's Hindu ceremonial magic, there's Taoist ceremonial magic. When people say ceremonial magic, they mostly mean Western, and by Western they usually mean Judaic ceremonial magic. Um, and Judaic ceremonial magic, more or less, once you get break everything down, it is a system of accounting that breaks things in, down from an undifferentiated state into finer and finer and finer details. Uh, that you can interface with and control and work with, both positive and negative. There's not really this uh, judgment against the negative forces. I mean, that's there is after Christianity, but realistically, those forces have to exist. Uh, I, I would say that's at least my interpretation of of in practice, that the forces have to exist because everything has to be accounted for within the known universe and unknown universe. Yes, I'd have to agree. It's it's also has something to do with the idea of okay, we make a judgment, a sociological judgment of what is right, wrong, good, evil, black, white, you have it. But <clears throat> really it just comes down to the idea that all these facets really reside within all of us no one is a hundred percent you know honest engine all the time and no one is a hundred percent purely evil either so it's really a realistic look at the universe and people in general yeah i mean 
we're gonna just give an overview because we uh, today because like I said I guess we're waiting for our guests to call in um, but this tree of life and you guys can look at it um, more or less it more or less links every sephira to different uh, planetary energies and then because the counting so systems go good within each sephira and you could have there's it also there's different worlds four different worlds uh, but within each sephira there's a spectrum of different energies that would correspond to that category um, in a way like from a hypnosis NLP standpoint this is a, a system of really exact anchors that you condition yourself to so you can vibrate in certain ways uh, to get the results that you want to change in your life it's very much about resonances and uh, changing those parts of yourself through those resonances so, don't you agree Jason yes I do um, well, you, for one, uh, stepping more on the planetary side of things, um, you've been doing a lot of planetary work lately, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, uh, I use a lot of the Agrippa type of stuff, although not exactly in the Agrippa way, because uh, if you read Agrippa, um, he, because of when it's written, he'll reference God five times within one paragraph, and I'm not against God mind you but it's it's kind of written in that christianized way that um my conception of the universal when i'm working with the planetary agents is not does not quite fit into the god word it, uh, I, I would much rather call it chaos or uh the Tao or one of the other names of unlimited uncomprehensible type of things but yeah, when I work with the planetary aspects, um, if you really read Agrippa, which Agrippa is a big part of ceremonial magic, and you really focus on the planetary energies, it, Agrippa, there's a lot in Agrippa, it's a huge book, but the planetary intelligences and spirits work generally off the idea that inte planetary intelligences are the most evolutionary aspects of the planets. So, if you want to have parts of your life evolve along a beneficial evolutionary way you'd call out the intelligence multiple times um, even on my webpage I have a ritual for a Saturn um, working that basically looks at your life and says okay everything isn't going so well in your life all right if you come to that conclusion that happens for every magician every person I know and you go okay and this is a great example because you look at it and you say okay things aren't going so well in my life right now okay you know I work and work and work and I bleed my hands are bleeding because I'm working so hard and I'm getting nowhere you know it's kind of like you know it's just everything's kind of uh, degrading it's kind of uh, it's decaying okay you know nothing stays together well if you look at a lot of ceremonial magic you could say okay my life has a vibration of Saturn that's very negative because Saturn is about transformation and death and constant transformation without structure 
is just decay with no rebirth. But Saturn generally promises a, a rebirth phase. So you could imagine and do the ceremonial magic with the various vibrations to see that these negative components of your life are negative components of Saturn and you could bring them in line by calling the most beneficial aspects of Saturn change with structure, discipline, fortitude to rein those in and change your luck. Essentially that, that was one thing I posted on the website. Um, I think we personally and the Quantum Life Science Institute and both of us have done in numerous in numerous, in numerous, in numerous uh, Venus workings with Haniel where we step through and that's something unique to us I haven't seen it in any other books but it seems to work really well where we step through each vibration of Venus to go higher and higher and higher uh, in the Venusian sphere until we get to the aspects of God that is Venus. I mean, you've seen that, Jason. You've seen weird effects from that ritual, not just changing internal aspects either. Oh, yeah. We've we've had external. Um, I remember one of the first major workings we did with that particular structure. We were using a singing bowl. And while I was rubbing the bowl and getting the chime effect from the bowl, I came to a point of trance where I wasn't able to control the bowl anymore. I pretty much had to stop using the bowl. And we were actually going in a round with the group of people we were working with. We were breaking it down. Han, E, L, each syllable of the angel's name, the spirit's name, going in circles. When the bowl stopped giving off its chime we had a actual audible manifestation of what sounded to me like a harp and to so several other people in the room it was like a constant zhing, zhing, and there was no instrument being played at that time yeah i mean and that was uh and that particular working we'd already we'd already have had done We'd had stepped through two layers, essentially. We opened the planetary energies, which were even keel. Uh, we had walked upwards towards the highest aspirations of the intelligence in the Grippo sense. And then we continued to walk up through towards the angelic sense to really kind of change our heart chakras and fix up flaws in... Uh, in our emotional makeup that were holding us back from expressing love. Uh, that, you know, that will, is very much uh, an example of kind of the kinds of changes in vibration that you can do in ceremonial magic. And, and from a results-driven point of view, that, that ritual very much changed all the people's participating in that ritual, we, we really did start to get to the core of our emotional problems and be able to process them. Most of the, pro most of the because it was such a safe Venusian environment, uh, usually like one of the biggest problems with self-work and changing yourself is that the vibrations of the hurt and pain is so harsh you can't let it go. And in that ritual, I think 
many of us were able to let go a lot of our limitations uh, because the vibrations that we were resonating at was so high we didn't need them. But after the ritual, after you get rid of the pain and hurt, your subconscious mind and your energy system responds and you don't have it anymore. You're vibrating at that higher rate. Well, that's a very good way of putting it. And just to give reference to those who are listening who don't know, uh, we keep referencing Agrippa. That's Henry Cornelius Agrippa of Niedersheim. And his most famous works are the three books of occult philosophy. And there's several translations of that available in English. Yeah, and, and that's the, the thing where I think we come at it and ceremonial magicians uh, will being more from the school of thought that there may not be an ultimate truth I see a lot of ceremonial magicians come to this from the perspective that this is the right way to do it and most people can't agree on what the right way to do it is um, well it's actually funny when you look at western ceremonial magic it has quite an evolution certainly the golden dawn drew from the work of Cornelius Agrippa but they in no way shape or form used his ritual outline they took his work they took the work of the Jewish Kabbalists and they formed their own rituals to get similar effects yeah exactly exactly and um that, that was just an example. I mean, I can think of how much of the ceremonial magic is actually vibrational uh, and how, although you do the physical ceremony to actually get the result, um, you're trying to create a certain set of states of mind in a certain progression that leads to a certain change in your internal state. And you can do that... Uh, and this is totally from a non-dogmatic point of view. We've seen, I've, you've seen it multiple times where people will want to do a, an Archangel Michael work uh, invocation. And because I know what the Archangel Michael's vibration is, in hypnosis I can do it relatively quickly to get those solar aspects and the heat and the, the idea of illumination coming down into the person. Um, I, we did that at Starwood. It, it was five minutes. Uh, but both of you had a very good conception of that vibration. Oh, certainly. And that definitely helps. I think that, well, for one, if you want to talk about invocation as a practice in ceremonial magic, you gave some of the most clear advice of anyone that I've spoken to over the years, just the idea that if you you have to become obsessed with the spirit before you work with it in a way you want to study it understand it understand what it's about historically um really look for all the minute details that you can so that when you go into an invocation you know what you're calling yeah i mean it, it, it is in, in a way changing your vibration is changing your intention and that's one of the things that i think so many of the classical ceremonial magicians as opposed to the modern um, 
ceremonial magicians like the open uh, source order of the Golden Dawn, who I love, by the way. They're, they're awesome. Um, they're awesome. Um, but, yeah, they, the vibration, uh, this is a good way, because this was a question of chant. What, what is vibration? And, and how do you get to vibration? Uh, vibration is, I'm going to use a very information way of describing this. Uh, but vibration is a set of information that you are vibrating from your mind. And by vibrating, I don't mean necessarily chanting, although that is the normal uh, one of the normal ways that you raise and vibration in ceremonial magic is through calling out divine names and vibrating their names at the correct tones, a physical vibration. But really what it means is that your mind is so paying attention to a certain wavelength and what you understand as that wavelength that your body and energy must follow suit and must vibrate out in every way. And this is why NLP is unbelievably powerful when we're doing ceremonial magic. In fact, it, you know, I know I'm biased and I know there's a lot of hype and we had Phil ha uh, Phil Farber. I wish we could get Phil Hine on the show sometime, but we had Phil Farber, who's awesome, talking about NLP. And I almost go so far to say one of the first things you should learn in magic is cognitive science or uh, neuro-linguistic programming because the simplicity of understanding that once you have an understanding like you've been at a ritual that was say a solar ritual you feel it you can have an interpretation within your mind you heard the the god names called out in the most vibratory sense and you really have an experience that led to basically a mystical experience that mystical experience is enough for you to recreate it and you do that because you could map which sensory information um, should go with the state and as you map that out inside your mind's eye it's your body loses track of the external world and starts focusing on that vibration closer and closer and closer until you're completely in sync with it. And this is a type of meditation, um, except that we wouldn't use the terms meditation, but it is meditation. At the point at which you're at that vibration and you're out of the way and you are emanating that vibration in your mind by paying attention and controlling your thoughts with such focus your body will vibrate that energy and emanation out around you and within you at the same time at which time your psyche and your energy pattern can change radically uh, through one ritual uh, usually that's just a matter of ritual is a way to focus your mind on that emanation through the use of symbol and understanding what that symbol is through the use of physical vibration and then through the use of various imagery associated with the symbology you're working with. Essentially, you keep getting to the point that you can have that oneness with the vibration or the emanation that you're working with 
so that way you can make the changes you need to. Uh, I hope that answers the question in, in the chat room. That was a kind of little explanation of how to actually do the vibration. Of course, that's my personal take, and ten ceremonial magicians will disagree with me, probably. You still there, Jason? Did I oh, lose yes. Yeah. That was a good explanation. Essentially, like, that's what vibrating means. Now, before you get to the point that you start uh, vibrating out like that, you know, people will put on costumes, they'll, they will put on anything to help themselves get into the, that right state. Now, that's not to say that these vibrations don't exist out there. That's not at all what I'm saying. Uh, that's a discussion for a, a way different show, I think. Uh, and we, we can have that discussion. But what it is saying is to connect with it, uh, you know, many ceremonial, magical, and I, I just say this because I'm going to be talking on Poke Runnin's show soon, um, but you look at his rituals and they're beautiful. I mean, and, I, and I've done some beautiful rituals, but his take the cake. They're awesome. Okay, how can you not get in the right state of mind when everyone's in black robes, there's incense, there's gilded tables, you know, uh, they're with the right symbols, the colors are vibrant. All of that gets your mind right in the way to get in that vibration and uh, doing it that way. And that's the reason you do it that way. When you bring people into those rituals, uh, eventually their mind will sink in because there's just so much that they're getting from the ambience of this, uh, the area. I mean, this is why ritual rituals are theater in a way and why ritual is so much fun because even if you're, you're not a expert metaphysician and an expert occultist, you go to one of these rituals and you can't help but get into a trance state and then you can't help but have the vibration shift and your whole reality will change right then and there because all of the pageantry and um, ritual changes your mindset, which was the original use of, of theater in a Dionysian sense of the word. Oh, yeah, it, it truly was. And, uh, yeah, Poke Runyon, as, you, as you've mentioned, spares no expense in his ritual gear. Um, his ritual gear seems to be akin to what the Golden Dawn used to do. Uh, very colorful symbols. And that's where you start to see, okay, the magical weapons aren't so much about being magical implements as they are focusing tools for the mind. The theater actually does put you in a mindset. It breaks you away from your everyday, mundane, normal life to get you into the proper state of mind to work magic. And, yeah, I, I could argue that with time and practice you can move away from using tools like that, but you don't have to. I, you don't have to. Some people enjoy it. I know. I, I personally enjoy it. I mean, I would love to have the money and time to uh, carve out a proper seal, a proper circle of protection, a proper goetic triangle, and, and do it the old-fashioned way. Just like I would love to have the time to do some of the angelic work 
that we had with the full pageantry. Uh, however, not everyone has that time. And we, I would argue that a lot of ceremonial magicians out there, once you've internalized the symbol set you're wor with working in within the Western sense, uh, you can do a lot on the fly. You can do a lot with just vibrations. Well, and really it is, <clears throat> it's a practice where you have to study a lot of references. And yes, there are symbol sets. Okay, one, one of my favorite vibrations, part of the Lesser Banishing Ritual of the Pentagram, the God name. It's the Tetragrammaton, the ineffable name of God. <laughs> Y-H-W-H or Y-H-V-H depending on translation and it can also be a symbol representing the characteristics of those four syllables being father, mother, son, daughter as a representation of the cycle of life calling upon the creative forces yeah and I mean the fact that those four Hebrew letters has so much uh, symbology that if you understand all the symbology when you actually go into a trance state because these concepts are so hard to vibrate that out you're internalizing all that in your subconscious mind essentially you're building a system of anchors and linkages inside your mind and then when you do the ritual you're activating this complicated like vibration but it happens automatically. That's why all the study is important, ceremonial magic. Um, one of the things about Western ceremonial magic, which is somewhat controversial, is that they have almost correspondences. Everything has correspondences to numbers. Because like I said initially, ceremonial magic in itself is based upon sacred geometry and mathematics. It isn't as separated as... Uh, other systems of shamanic magic that maybe aren't so math driven, but ceremonial magic definitely has every letter has a number, and that number you can make correspondence to other things, and that helps you build up the resonance that you're trying to get to by stacking correspondences in the right way. So, are we given the impression this is not magic 101? I didn't think we were talking about Magic 101, but a lot of people start off in ceremonial magic. True, true. I'm just trying to give the people out there this concept that, I guess, yes, you can start off in ceremonial magic, but it's not a type of magic where, from day one, you're actively doing things. Uh, a lot of it involves study and learning these correspondences and what these different ciphers mean so that you can make them anchors in your work. Yeah, I mean, essentially you, you won't be able to vibrate, literally have your mind vibrate a concept until you understand it. I mean, I think that's why many ceremonial ma uh, magicians start out and it takes them years before they start getting results because they really have to understand the concepts they're working with before your mind can start reproducing and vibrating those out. You have to have internalized what those mean. Now, I would argue and probably get in trouble that if you use um, other technologies like neuro-linguistic programming, you can make that uh, integration step happen a lot faster. However, 
you still have to internalize it before it's a useful concept. That's almost the truism of almost any magic. You have to internalize it uh, before you can make it useful. But one of the things, because ceremonial magic is, uh, a, in my eyes, you know, shamanism with a better accounting system that you can do, is I love doing spell work with my tarot deck, which all has correspondences to the Tree of Life. And if you understand those correspondences, you can pull enchantments out through the tarot by you, with nothing more than the tarot by focusing and using the focal point of the pictures. I use the Toth deck, the pictures, and understanding what they mean as a vibratory link to those states and then produce them uh, out with no other tools except for that, um, which is an interesting way to go. I mean, I think because it's correspondences across the board, we've really worked with herbs and angelic powers and made correspondences with various angelic forces. And because the correspondences um, have certain vibrations, we're able to much more powerfully evoke angelic forces into a room, you know, and in different settings. Uh, likewise, we've done similar things to protect us from the malficic forces like the Goetia and other things in ritual. We've used herbs in that way because when blessed with the right energies, because the correspondences are right, it gets very, very, uh, you can get synergies of scale which really empower your work. Now, uh, one of the reasons that I really wanted Aaron to come on the show and was because he's doing work that's very similar to what me and Jason were doing, which is working with the Grimwark um, books from the Renaissance and other things, but using conjure-type techniques with the Goetic stuff, conjure-type techniques with the angelic stuff, conjure and hoodoo-type techniques with... Uh, with these planetary forces, you know, give me a break from talking, Jason. Maybe you could talk a little bit because well, you've, you've seen a lot of this stuff where we were doing this uh, for months, which is a long time for us. <laughs> okay, not everyone is familiar with conjure. Conjure is really a a southern word here in the states. This idea that um, you put together an herbal concoction that aligns with a magical intent, something you want to achieve in the physical world. And conjure, from my studies, pretty much literally is this belief system that you make a substance that attracts types of spirits that align to the desired outcome. Okay, like say, hot foot powder is supposed to help drive a person away. Um, a deeper understanding of conjure would be that that hot foot powder would attract spirits to the person that you laid it out for that would actually help to drive them out of your life. Um, now, in another aspect of conjure with the herbs is that you can empower herbs by calling upon spiritual forces. Um, in voodoo, grand bois, is the spirit of the forest rules over the forest 
uh, is the forest, but that's kind of a philosophical debate that we don't need to get into right now. Um, you call upon Granbois to bring out the Ashe in your herbs. The Ashe is the power locked within the herbs to get the task done. Um, now, following that same principle, there are folks out there, and we have done some of this work ourselves, but you could call particular angels that align with the purpose at hand and the herbs that you're choosing in, in correspondence with your purpose to put power into those herbs. And this corresponds because the proper herbs that are in line with your purpose will take on that particular spirit's energy um, like a conduit to push your, your intent with the help of the spirits out into the physical world. Uh, I hope that's a nice, concise yeah. explanation. Yeah, I mean, let, let, let's take a practical example. And if everyone listening can do this, that would be great. You can do this on your own. Um, one of the traditional herbs associated with Venus, because Venus is an easy planet to go back to on air. It makes people feel good. It's, it's the beauty, you know, the wealth planet and ceremonial. Well, Jupiter is partially wealth too, but... Um, but uh, Copal, you know, if you take copal and you simply sit with the copal in front of you, uh, you can use simple meditation techniques where you just breathe deeply in and out, and you can go on the internet and do a search for the uh, Venusian intelligence. And the ritual that I posted in the chat room, and it's on my webpage, andreavenomist.com, for Hanio has this in there. And you can just focus on that and just keep chanting that over the copal. The copal and the Venusian intelligence that you're vibrating will help resonate with each other. Now, if you actually went and did a lesser banishing ritual, the pentagram beforehand, if you understood more about the Venusian intelligence, it would be more powerful. But even the copal itself, with that vibration, will really have an impact and then just burn it and meditate and see what happens that'll kind of get you started with some of this and even bypassing that we can even take it a step down simplify it if you will you could look up correspondences for a resin like copal or an herb that is in line with your goal. Um, Andrea, throw out a nice wealth herb. Oh, man, you're going to make... Uh, just one, just one. First one comes to your mind. First one tonight is sandalwood, which is sandalwood. Indian correspondence to wealth. It's actually, it's actually a really good choice. You could, bypassing, and you could do this as an atheist, okay? Take the sandalwood, like Andrea said... Hold it in your hands. Form just a simple statement of intent. Um, no, it, 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 it is my will to bring wealth into my life. And just keep repeating it. It is my will to bring wealth into my life. Over and over again. One breath Per chant, as you focus 
internally on your desire building up inside of you and just envision pushing that desire out from the middle of your chest, out through your arms and into the herb, into the sandalwood. After you do this for say a half hour straight, you're going to feel the effects. It sounds silly and it's very simple, but if you try it, you will feel something. I might actually add a couple things to that just to Go help. ahead. Just to help. Uh, because this is something that we actually did in public, so I feel like I, I can give it away. If you do that and actually envision $100 bills flying towards you, uh, all around you, like in a circle, and see, feel, hear, even smell those crisp hundreds. I bet, I bet some of you can smell those. Oh, yeah, I can smell it right now. Uh, if you can, just go ahead. If you can, go to the bank and smell one. Just ask them. I'd like to smell a hundred. They might look at you strangely, but it works. And if you can add those senses to that meditation, uh, and then continue that meditation uh, after you burn, you start burning the sandalwood. Uh, I think a lot of people listening right now would get uh, pretty good Jupiterian results of uh, increase in wealth just by doing that. Um, now there's some tricks that will enhance that, which we're not going to go into, but that's a great exercise to give, Jason, that I would just add the multi-sensory aspects to it uh, to really kind of push people down into deeper and deeper and deeper resonance with that. Well, and I thank you for that advice. Um, I, I found that your background in hypnosis really has taken ceremonial magic to a different level. Oh, well, th thank you. <laughs> Before we forget, we'll take a little break now, Before, we, and we'll go back to these ceremonial magic topics. Before we forget, uh, in case you were wondering, next weekend, next week Monday, uh, it's all us again. If we're going to do an actual show on ancestral work, which is, uh, we're not exactly going to do it from a Haitian voodoo point of view. Uh, however, it will be extraordinarily vo voodoo in its flavor. And... Uh, I'm going to double check uh, with Kimmy J to make sure she's still on board since a couple people canceled, but I'm sure Kimmy is still on board. We're going to actually have Kimmy uh, produce the show from Rain Radio and take you all through an actual ancestral service of the type that we're going to do the following week on Halloween. And we're going to explain all the concepts of how to work with ancestors. Um, my personal experience of which... Um, this really is something I have a lot of experience with of how to work with the dead in a safe manner and how to work with uh, your ancestors uh, in a way that protects you um, from the dead, especially for the ghost hunters out there. That, that'll be uh, a very, 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 very uh, important show because uh, if you have your ancestral work done right and you're working with your ancestors it is really difficult and and jason the paranormal investigator of our radio show uh will back me up on this it's really really hard for the dead on spiritual investigations to attach to you or otherwise hurt you if you have worked with your ancestors in because they will step in and block that yeah and i would kind of add from the investigator's point of view you know a lot of us out there 
have gotten into this this field of research well primarily because we had questions about death and dying and what did it mean afterwards and why do some people leave traces behind seem to linger on after here in our world after they're physically gone and you know if you have those kinds of questions in your head it's not a far stretch to be able to say hey you know what the people that cared about me when they were here and now they're gone they may not really be gone you have to look at it that way that your ancestors do care about you and you know I'm, I'm saying that like those of us who have lost people close to us in our immediate families grandparents parents um, and take it a step further back and just say that those spirits who you never met in life your great-grandparents and on back have a vested interest in your well-being because you are how they live on in this physical world so to speak you are their progeny and the ancestral work is not a far stretch from paranormal research you already believe spirits are out there you already believe in a life after death or you wouldn't be doing this stuff yeah now we're just going to call out spirits that in life would have loved you and that's we have to explain how to do the service a little and then on halloween we will do much more of the uh, a hypnotic ritual like we did before uh but before we can do that i have to have everyone understanding how to actually uh, call out the dead and how to actually set up a mini altar and bless it right so that way we can basically have you do the hypnosis and have a real strongly positive uh, impact on ho actual Halloween. Um, and I'm hoping that some of the paranormal investigators out there will actually set up their equipment when they set up their altar and listen to the show and do the hypnosis while uh, of the show while having their altar set up and the equipment recording and see what we can get. And we'd love to hear from you uh, um, after Halloween when we do that. So, hey, folks, you got 15 minutes. The call-in number is 216-772-0223. Go ahead and hit us up if you want to. Questions, comments, want to call us bad names, please don't do that. But here's your opportunity. Silence. No bad names, apparently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, interesting enough to... To go back to the ceremonial magic, that's it's one of the things of Western ceremonial magic that, although I, I like it, one of the things is that it, it seems to lump the dead in with um, essentially demonic forces. Uh, the the primary ways that I, I've seen to control the dead in ceremonial magic seem to come through the Goetia. And uh, I don't necessarily agree with that, actually. I think that's kind of a kind of a... Oh, it's definitely a one-sided outlook. Well, it's definitely an aspect that comes from Judaic philosophy of uh, and, and some Christian philosophy, I believe. I mean, because uh, that, that, that to me has never been my experience of the dead, and I don't think it's the experience of many um, psychics or, or paranormal investigators. Well, yes, and, and yes, because there are references in the Old and New Testament that it's like this horribly sinful thing to talk to the dead. And bear in mind that the ceremonial magic, the old grim wars, were written in a very 
very Christian-based society. Yeah, definitely, and that that comes across. I mean, when you try to sep when you try to separate out the Christianity from a lot of our Western ceremonial magic, even to get back to what would be considered a more macabre or uh, Jewish shamanic sort of way, it's really hard to separate out the Christian values from uh, what is the corpus of Western magical thinking in, in a lot of ways. You know, and <clears throat> this is where I'm going to give my uh, quick little disclaimer that I don't, this would be like a whole other show in and of itself, but when you really go back and study hardcore, a lot of the uh, Judaic and Christian scriptures, you start to find out that there's a lot of things that are labeled sinful in our modern society that aren't necessarily coming directly from the culture that those scriptures came from. Um, 2,000 years of filtering, if you will. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah, I mean, we, we covered that on the show a little bit with the Canaanite religion, which was the pre-Judaic uh, religion, uh, and, and it's, it's kind of like that's that's probably one of the biggest critiques I have of ceremonial magic. It's kind of like is, is all the books have such a Christian influence on them that it's hard to. I mean, from the Golden Dawn, uh, from Agrippa, even through the you know Holy Guardian Angel. Uh, rituals, it's it's hard to separate out what is and is not a Christian influence and kind of biases the system. Well, it's it's just very interesting when you go back and you study the scriptures and see things. Okay, for example, in the grimoires, you know, you see this idea of of Satan and and legions of demons or Lucifer. And when you go back and study the historicity of the scriptures, you find out that Lucifer was something entirely different than Satan. It was actually referenced to an old ruler, and Satan was an angel in the court of God who was sent out to test people's faith. So really, history and folklore and what things become throughout time are not necessarily cohesive. You know, you know, because we have like ten minutes left in the show, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a little story uh, of Lucifer, um, the Lightbringer, right? At least what uh, you remember the ritual where I went on for like forty-five minutes uh, on this poetic, beautiful. Um, I don't know if it was an evocation or I don't exactly know what to call it. Because I wasn't really in the building. I was somewhat out of the building. But it was this poetic benediction against the demiurge and against the false constraints of, of our reality that prevents us from expressing the true nature of our spirituality. I, I mean, uh, and that was a Luciferian rant. And it was really... Uh, very much Lucifer as the light bringer, the one who illuminates the aspects of Venus, the Gnostic concept that um, that which you can comprehend as finite cannot possibly be God. And uh, those kind of things happen, even in ceremonial magic, where you just get taken away. 
Yeah, that's a really good example of um, some interesting spontaneous um, trance gnosis. Right, because we hit the vibration that we were going for to bring it full circle. We hit the vibration in such a way that when we vibrated that out and when we understood the the concept and we got close enough we were at least I was inspired uh, and speaking in a way that wasn't me not in a scary way but in a way that continued the resonance the words continued the resonance of that kind of illuminated light bringer aspects now was that traditional exactly what the uh, the general people would say no but when we actually sat down to do the work that's actually the resonance as we got close to it that came out which is one of the other things that often happens a lot of it, even in ceremonial magic a lot of these constructs and a lot of these forces are not what the books present them and it really at that point becomes and is necessary to be open to the ideas and form personal relationships uh, with what's being presented. Uh, of course, keeping yourself safe. I'm not recommending people become obsessed by whatever shows up at their door, but but really, it could be very things could be very different than even some of the grimoires and some of the books. And very few of the books agree on. A lot of topics so you really must really must start like exploring this and internalizing it yourself either way well I think what you're trying to say is that not all things that are labeled historically as being sources of great evil or really necessarily evil at all though I got to throw the disclaimer out there that caution must be taken when trying to filter out what is and what is not because I'll just say from experience, it does seem like there are spirits that are very beneficent and want to help. And there are spirits out there that are very malevolent and want to commit really just fear and harm for the sake of fear and harm. Well, that's true. But like to to bring it back full circle with what we were saying, uh, that has to be a component of reality even from a ceremonial magic western ceremonial point of view because if that wasn't there there wouldn't be choice you couldn't choose which vibration you want because if they didn't exist and ceremonial magic in many many tomes will say as above so below or as within so without essentially which is a way of saying that you are ultimately creating your own reality and it has to be a choice and the framework of that choice has to have good, bad, ugly, beautiful, all of those opposites. Because all those choices must have some sort of presence within this world. And because they have some sort of presence within this world, they must have some sort of name and correspondence. And that's exactly the way that Western ceremonial magic kind of um, trans world. Oh, we actually have a call in the last five minutes. All right, hold on a second. Let me add. Hello, who are we speaking to? 
Hi, it's Peg. I wanted to talk to Rochelle Sparrow. Okay, I think that's in about uh, five minutes. Do I have to call back? Or? Yep, I think so. Oh, yes, ma'am. Oh, this is uh, the probably the wrong number. So what number do I use? I, I don't I don't know. This is a deeper down the rabbit hole. <laughs> I know, but, but well, they're going to be on at nine o'clock. I read and on Facebook. They'll they'll post their number then, ma'am. Oh, they will. So what? I should just watch the little. Where do you find the numbers? Uh, it'll they'll post it in the chat room. So. Oh, thank you so much. They'll post it at um like nine o'clock, right? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. You're I welcome. It. Who's on now? This is deeper down the rabbit hole with Andrea Vitamis oh, and oh. Jason Caldwell. Do you have any questions about how to evoke a demon? <laughs> He's just kidding. <laughs> oh no, no, because I, I don't, I don't want to evoke a demon. Yeah, he but was, thank you anyway. Yeah. <laughs> good luck. Have a good night, ma'am. Bye. You too. Bye. You just can't help yourself, Jason. No. No, no. you just cannot help yourself at all. I oh can't. My God. Oh, you're just horrible. Easy target. Oh, that was funny, though, but th- you're just horrible. <laughs> horrible. Totally horrible. So horrible, Jason. Horrible. Oh, my. As you can see, Jason has followed in the fine tradition of Andrea Vitamus to be a complete trickster, even though, like, uh,. I have generally, like, not been doing that on air. <laughs> but that was really funny. <laughs> oh. But uh, in the last three minutes, I'm going to, last minute, I'm going to give a disclaimer. Do not evoke or summon demons until you know how to shield. Uh, seriously. It, all laughing aside, that's my disclaimer of... Just don't do it until you know what you're doing a little bit. Um, do you have any final thoughts about uh, about ceremonial magic? I mean, we could talk a lot about this um, a lot of the time. Jason, besides summoning demons, have, do you have any thoughts about the uh, all the things we talked about or... You know, just just in closing, it. I'm just gonna say, thanks for bearing with us tonight. You know, we we, we shot off the cuff since we lost our guest, but we are gonna get Aaron back. And um, honestly, just it, it's a very complicated field, and there's a lot of good books out there. And let me say that Aaron likes Secrets of the Magical Grimoires. Even though I didn't come on the show, even though, even us though off. we missed them, we had a little schedule in error. It's okay. It's it's an affordable book, and it really breaks down the concepts of how this style of magic works. And with that, I will say uh, one extra thing. Again, we keep saying to everyone: January first, we are going to start. Uh, we're going to have the show just like we are. We're going to have guests like we are every other week. We're going to have a lesson the other weeks and then a second lesson on our subscription site. Uh, Halloween, we're doing a live ritual. Uh, we'll start advertising in February because we're going to do uh, Convocation. Uh, the Quantum Life Science Institute is going to do Convocation Festival, which is, I don't have the exact dates, but we'll talk about it next week a little. And we're going to start uh, going there as a large group that's in Detroit. Uh, and with that, I'm going to take us out with the music from the alumnus again. I want to thank him. Uh, you're awesome for the, the theme show music for us. And everyone have a good night.